I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Morgan Runis. And we love to watch. We love to watch has to wonder who are the real pod people. I'm wide awake. Yes, it's fine. Just go to sleep, Pete. There's no way this question's going to backfire. Pete, Pete, take a nap. <laughs> I can't. Be it could be Aaron. Uh, it could be Aaron that doesn't want me on the episode, or, you know, he's a pod person. It's one or the other. Here's the thing about pod people in this day and age and the time we're going through right now and everything else. Uh, someone who just wants me to relax and take a little nap for myself is like very emotionally supportive oh yeah if, um, if there was an invasion of the body snatchers in 2020 it would be um the pod person would just be like a soft soft voiced white woman being like practice self-care make sure you're getting enough sleep it'd be like hey guys uh we're trying to make our species survive let's just all wear masks and not fight about it and everyone would be like sure we're gonna wear. I think. I think the line in 2020 to become a pod person is long. <laughs> That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying. I mean, I don't know. I was. Uh, I was uh, watching just to refresh because I watched this movie like two weeks ago. Uh, but uh, to refresh my memory, I was watching uh, videos and all, and the top comment on all the clips of this film is a uh, pod people in 2020 when they see someone who isn't wearing their COVID mask be like ah. I'm like, okay. Yeah, Jesus Christ. The true drags of YouTube, uh, we never we never quite cleaned that uh that gutter sewer up, did we? YouTube no. is still the worst. And I, it was the you're, worst. You're acting ago. like we didn't even try to clean it, Peter. It's a landfill. Like no one tried to clean the landfill. <laughs> so you're saying YouTube is where we can shove other people? That- that's for garbage. Although here, like, this is so off topic. But what I've learned is we had a dog that used to get out of our backyard um, until it, that became a problem. And we decided to give it to a, a friend of ours and a family with a higher fence. Um, but so we I joined this uh, group in the suburb I, I live in, which is just a Facebook group for people that live near me. And there's about 5000 people in this group. When it is the first Facebook group I've been a part of that isn't curated by a common interest, which is essentially for me only the dissolve the, that film group and then the 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 surrounding milieu of of uh, shoot off groups, shoot off groups. <laughs> sounds sounds pornographic. Offshoots. Uh, offshoots that's right yeah shoot off offshoots very different um <laughs> and which is like also heavily and well moderated about like hey you know it would suck if nazis showed up here or so and and everything else when you're just in a group of just a random sampling of five thousand people in your neighborhood um the people in your neighborhood suck <laughs> Every single post in the last few months is like, the government is telling us to wear masks. I just want my kid. It's just like, oh, my God. Like, uh, it's not the people, the people who write YouTube comments, Peter, walk amongst us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that just reminds me of uh, I, I joined. Uh, I used to competitively play this tabletop game because I'm a 
dweeb called uh, X-Wing Miniatures, where, you know, you get your little squadron at little Star Wars ships, and you have a little cute little tabletop dogfight. It's a, it's a really fun game, but uh, I was part of the local Nebraska Competitive Chapter Facebook group, and it was fine. Everything was fine. We were just like, okay, the game meets on, on Thursday. We all got to meet on Thursday. All <laughs> Necessary that. information. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, it was fine. Or talking strategy. It was, it was good. And then the 2016 election happened. <laughs> and then you realize that the nice portly gentleman who was super nice to you and organized all these tournaments hardcore trump supporter and just spent all the end of november going <laughs> all these libtards are so mad and it's like first off what does this have to do with a friendly <laughs> game of dog fighting second of all look at the time i gotta go and never be here again <laughs> yeah it was weird where like everyone you, it's not it's not that just because you weren't a Trump supporter meant you were a good person. Uh, it just meant that if you were a Trump supporter, everyone knew you weren't a good person. Yeah. And so it, it was all these people like self-identifying as like, I'm a Nazi. Oh, shit. All right. I'm what? Gonna... We, we all got this like rude awakening that yeah. there were people among us who are not the people that we thought they were, which is uh, hey, an appropriate Great way. segue. I think it's well, an appropriate way to, to lean into what this movie is, because what is what is this movie this week and what's well, the podcast, Aaron? Yeah, the podcast is We Love to Watch. It's a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course around that theme. This month is actually a double month that we're on our last episode of. We've done eight weeks of Scream makes, which are horror remakes, and we thought it was appropriate to end with... Uh, the horror remake that I think was first recognized as a movie that took a well-regarded original and improved on it. Uh, and that was the 1978 remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers by Philip Kaufman. Uh, and I think when, when people think of horror remakes that exceed their original, it's this, it's the thing, it's the fly. There's a lot more. We've talked about some in the last couple months. A few of but them those... have been uh, reposted on this feed this summer. Yeah. and But those are, I think, the three like iconic ones that people go, oh, getting away from the Hayes Code and, and getting a little messier with these movies can actually, and digging down into some of the themes of what was going on in the 70s and the 80s as opposed to the 50s um, adds a uh, both a uh, visceralness to these movies and a vitalness to these movies. Uh, and so uh, there's many more horror remakes that, that exceeded their, their source material. But uh, I think those are the three that kind of started the, oh, shit, let's go grosser. And let's uh, let's go deeper. And uh, two of those movies start Jeff Goldblum and two of those movies we've covered already on this show. And so it makes sense to end with um, and with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which almost was in our first remake horror month that we did six months into the show, Peter, when we did both things and both flies. And we're like, ah. oh, we'll save We'll save Invasion. And it's remake uh, for another day. And even though I do like the original uh, quite a bit, uh, it it there's it's nothing compared to this movie. This movie really does blow it out of the water. Uh, yeah, and the reason I was the reason I was uh, uh, sort of uh, talking about the uh, 
people reacting to their neighbors realizing that they were Trump supporters that you know so much of I guess maybe it's mostly in white white circles but yeah um, oh yeah definitely I would say most of your politics can hide under the surface uh, when you you live in the sort of uh, white privilege of, of being able to hide from from that um, but you having this sudden realize, realization that your neighbors are not necessarily your neighbors um, is a, a distinctly like human thing. It, the idea that somebody is not who they say they are or somebody is a replaced version of who they say they are. Um, it, it didn't start with the Cold War, you know, just because uh, the invasion of the body snatchers, uh, the first one in 1956, took place right as the Cold War was, was uh, uh, you know, ramping up. Um, doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it started then, uh, but it does... I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers has sort of tracked with American film very well to talk about the specific, the series of four movies um, and movies that are riffing on it uh, has sort of tracked with um, what America's paranoias are in that particular era. And this is one of the, this. I mean, I'm not the first person to make this argument, but this feels like a movie that should be remade every 15, 20 years just to take the pulse of what's going on at the time. Yeah, and um, but I also think, and we'll talk more about this. I think it's easy to this this movie especially is just feels it feels both specific and a total whiteboard when it comes to how you can graft on like your particular what what is that feeling of people being replaced or just. Um, it, it feels a lot more of an open canvas, I think, then. So I haven't seen 2007's Invasion, or maybe it's The Invasion. I've seen, I, I've seen, I, I saw it in theaters, actually. Was it, was it any good? Uh, no, it's, 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 um, it has a happy ending, which I think specifically ruins it, wrong. ruins the that, paranoia. That wrong. Um, but overall, it's just kind of an over the plate, okay kind of horror movie. Uh, and, and that kind of shows the strength of the series that like its worst, most bland entry is still like, you know, an okay, an okay little movie. It's just, there's kind of no reason to watch it considering there's three superior movies in the series. Yeah. Yeah, and I really like uh, Abel Ferrara's Body Snatchers from 1993, I think. And that that one also speaks heavily to what was uh, the paranoia of the 90s and the late 80s. Which I think, if I remember, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. I feel like, from memory, that movie's about, like, our kids getting into grunge too much? That's <laughs> I, over... I think it's about... I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I think it's about ST, STDs and... STDs and, and and heroin and like the sort of fears of boomers yeah. about their their Gen X kids and I remember Gen X kids because it, it's the kids on a military base I think who are like uh, trying to tell people that something's going wrong and all the baby boomer uh, parents are like stupid kids with their yeah and with like their the, with their flannel and their nirvana and their hula hoops which you know this 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 concept the idea that that, that uh you know that people are doubles people are copies of what they they're supposed to be or you know this person is just a alien in a skin suit is so uh it uh inimitable it, it, it's 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 yeah. so uh easy to imitate um, the, there's even like there's t- I'm sure there's like a dozen X Files episodes on this concept. 
um there's there's uh fucking the the you know the movies that are more inspired by the thing pathway which is that like not only yeah. that uh you know it's not just that they're going to be copying you but the moment that they come out of their copy it's going to be a uh horrific uh bloody mess which i think sort of yeah. species picked up on like th- this series has branching pathways but I feel like the core series uh, really nails uh, what it's about, which is nailing what the, the point of the year is. But we're being rude here. We haven't even introduced our fucking guest. Oh, Jesus. Her. Yeah, we're, oh we're so, so excited to talk about yeah. it. Morgan jumps we're so right in. With our, we're so comfortable, yeah, comfortable with Morgan. We were like, why yeah. introduce him? Yeah. Um, I mean, if it is Morgan. Yeah, yeah. if it is even Morgan. Introduce who you think you are. Morgan is a writer and podcaster from nebraska i, I don't know I don't no that's normal uh, yeah yeah he's he's, he's cool he's not replaced by robots no no, no it's fine <laughs> I, I was i was going for i was trying to do the emotionless thing but i it ended up as robot robot replacement which <laughs> robots can love that's the point of the will smith classic i robot is even a robot can learn to love yeah, yeah. And, and we can also learn that a robot did not murder him yeah. <laughs> when there was only one set of grease prints from your from the robot feet. Yeah. That's when I was carrying you. That's right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we still haven't gotten there. Morgan, Morgan, thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on. Were you on? I know you were on the, uh, during Batman month. Have you been on since then? No. Batman and Robin was the last time I swung by. Yeah, we were about we were two years ago. Our yeah. From yeah. Batman and Robin, and we no. accidentally also wiped you uh, from our memory. I'm very sorry. You know, it's, it's uh, fine. I, it's fine. It was worth yeah. it. <laughs> I, I remember us having a lot of fun that month by the way I, I know it's easy to make fun of those movies I remember those movies being very fun I think what happened was is and I mean this in the best way we told Morgan he's welcome on every time anytime yeah. not, not every time uh, but anytime and uh, and he started being one of the few guests I think we've ever had that just started reaching out to us and being like hey heard you're doing Batman give me this one yeah and Morgan, you haven't reached out to us in a while, so you were doing our our scheduling for us. Yeah. And then I had to get back in the saddle and be like, "Hello, partner. We want to talk about body signatures." Yeah. No, I didn't want to be rude because, like, with the bat. I mean, I think the Batman thing was literally someone told. Was it Anthony? It might have been Anthony who reached out and was like, "Hey, the." The boys are doing Batman Month. You uh, you want to do Batman Month for them? And I was like, well, a- <laughs> "Fuck, okay." That's not at all what Anthony sounds like. But. No, I love, but that's the voice that Anthony does. That's so what he feels yeah. like. Yeah, that is what he doing feels. Impressions like. on impressions right now, and it just yeah. it was it was great. Thank you yeah. for doing that. No, I got you. But yeah, no, he reached I, out I miss to me. Anthony. He's so good. Um, yeah, we should have him back on. <laughs> the, the problem is we have too much of a wonderful cast of recurring yeah. characters. Uh, but no, Anthony reached out to me and was like, "Hey, they're doing they're doing Batman Month. Do you do you want to talk to you? I, you know, I think you you should talk to ba- about Batman to them." So immediately, instead of being like, "Oh, you know, it's their podcast. I should I don't want to be rude and impose myself," I immediately went into the DMs and was like, "I want to talk Batman. Give me the Batman." I need pictures of Batman. I need pictures of Batman. Um, and then after uh, that, I, 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 part of me was like, ah, that's, I mean, I know they, they were like, y- y'all were like, ah, oh, you can come on whenever. But part of me was like, oh, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to, 
be like, Hello, masters, is there a movie Young Morgan could discuss on the pod? And I didn't want to be that guy, so... I, I was going to say that the 1950s version of Invasion of the Bystanders doesn't feel like a blank canvas movie, but then I thought about that a little bit and realized that basically there's two interpretations of that movie, which are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Some people, that both that worked on the movie and interpreted the movie, say it was about McCarthyism, and some people say it was about communism. <laughs> so very, very two sides of a, of a coin there. Was it about uh, our, our country's persecution of anyone who said the word communism uh, and yelling and screaming that they were different? Or was it about uh, the red threat infiltrating the United States? Uh, and yeah, even from people at the time, there was definitely a differing uh, opinion of that. Uh, for this one... It definitely had a, a a meaning at the time, but I actually, instead of the what it means for your neighbors to be these like, oh, shit, my neighbors aren't my neighbors anymore. The people I know aren't, aren't people I know. Uh, the people I walk down the street with don't share a common humanity or I can't trust that they share a common humanity. One thing that actually like really got to me this time, which is just a reflection of watching how how vibrant and rel uh, uh, and relevant this movie feels in 2020, is is actually more. I'm going to skip ahead a little to the end and just give my impression of it. That like I did get the sense where those kind of conservatives or Republicans or Trump voters, you know, they're it's. This has been talked about so much, it's not a unique observation. But at this point, their their politics are less about anything and more about hurting other people, right? Like they don't actually have they don't actually have like things they believe in besides like uh, gay people should be thrown in in the street and not be allowed to have jobs and not be allowed to marry and adopt and oh yeah. if you care about global warming you suck and black people should be happy with any rights we've given them and on and on and on like they are only attack they don't actually have things they're trying to do um, all the things they're trying to do stop abortion are like specifically about taking away from people and so once you get to the point like. You imagine a world where they succeed, right? Or they succeed and everyone's on their side. And what would actually happen in that world is they would find other reasons to decide that other people are should be persecuted and pointed out and stuff like that. But eventually what they would get, because they don't have any actual desire or things they want to do to, like, better their surroundings – they would just all be walking around and not talk like it the ending where it feels like they that the pod people have won like that is what i envision um a um what what uh, the end goal of these kind of fascist conservatives in our country is is like we're all attacked so if we don't have anyone to point at we we don't have anything because we don't have anything we care about besides hurting other people yeah, I mean, I mean, I can, I can see it in a specific political. I mean, that's what's so powerful about movies like this. And, yeah, and that's to, is that you can pull kind of whatever. I can see that now, like from your perspective. I could also see a conservative watching this and saying, 
uh, this is what uh, big government liberals want. They want everyone to yeah. be these like polite little drones that do exactly what you're supposed to do. And like you don't. You, you, and then when the push comes to shove, as we've seen with modern conservatism, especially um, conservatives back up the powers that be as hard as possible. Um, yeah. So like it's it's uh, I, I could I could see it kind of going both ways. Like I, I, it is definitely it is definitely a movie that takes place during the cold war but not at an era when um i think we were as concerned uh with um uh, spy infiltration uh as we were in the 80s and as we were in the 50s like the late 70s was a time where i think we were more concerned with like where are we as a country who the fuck are we uh, as a people um, and so people were looking, the fear was looking more inward than outward coming in, you know, like we're at, uh, our inward culture was somehow getting corrupted, um, yeah. from inside itself, as opposed to outward interloper interlopers coming in and, uh, you know, destroying us from without. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be very clear. I don't think the movie is about what it feels like to be, to live in a world of a uh, internet troll fascist as a political party in 2020. <laughs> the movie's not about that. It's just, uh, and that's why I didn't, I didn't put it in the section where we talk about the movie specifically. It's just like a feeling I get watching it. It's like, oh yeah, there's also the part like, once you have no one to point at, your life is like a literally devoid of meaning. No. No, I, I, uh, I got the sense that, because I was uh, reading a couple interviews and um oh, who was it who said it was it was it Co i think it was kaufman who said the reason he said it in san francisco is he was like okay what if the pod people infiltrated what i consider to be the most progressive city on the planet at the time you know before uh the the libertarian technocratic vampires took it over but anyway um <laughs> But he was like, you know, what would happen if, you know, this really forward-thinking, really scientifically forward-thinking, politically forward-thinking city, could the pod people s still take it over? And he was like, well, yeah, of course they could, because they're really good at adapting. But to me, the movie feels almost like a premonition of uh, the first, uh, when Reagan won. Almost. Yeah. Just because it's, you know, he wanted a huge landslide, and I... Did he take California? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so in a way he was right. Like, yes, the conservatives did take over San Francisco. They did take over. And, you know, I've, I've talked with a bunch of, uh, you know, like leftists and, you know, my mom was a liberal at the time who were just, just flabbergasted that Reagan won so handily and just realizing so many people around you thought that way. Yeah. So to me, that's yeah. It almost feels like a warning about that, but it also kind of feels like the last gasp of seventies skepticism. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was this was this was uh, about four years after uh, you know the the events of Watergate, nineteen seventy eight. So um, I know it's easy for people that weren't alive then to just point to Watergate, but, uh, it is, it is specifically like, uh, a paranoia of the era that the powers that be would betray you, that you can't trust anybody, um, that, that sort of, uh, would typically be your markers of trust. Um, and, and, and I think that there's a lot going on here with, uh, a sort of open-ended 
paranoia that gives this movie life in a way yeah. that like there's a lot of very bad post 9-11 liberal movies that um, are so specific in their targeting that they're almost targeting like whatever was the political uh, the political CNN issue of the night uh, while they were writing the script. Then by the time War Inc. got to the screen, you were like, why are you talking about this? Like, this is, this is, we, the conversation has moved on from there by making, sometimes making your movie too specific in terms of like, uh, you know, uh, political messaging, uh, you actually ignore larger issues and you, um, you're not, you're not actually communicating the, uh, the point that you're trying to make. Um, the point of this movie is trying to make is like a, a sort of skeptical, um, you know, uh, iconoclastic rebel kind of image, which unfortunately could be interpreted by Rep Republicans. And I just want to like point out how the, the sleep thing that Aaron was talking about, um, the sleep thing is like a specific, uh, image that political movements use to motivate people. They say you're asleep, you're a sheeple, you're somehow not operating like consciously, you're not an independent person, you're just sort of living in a dream world. Um, this sort of idea that you are not a, a full um, conscious being uh, was used in a lot of pop culture, even up to today. So like, uh, the compromised doctor, so Dr. Spock, is, like, urging sleep. He's like, everyone should just sleep. It's fine. <laughs> um, and Well, he, he also is, uh, just, just really quickly, he's also the one who's, like, saying, yeah, people feel like the um, – the people in their house are copies and they don't recognize them because of the breakdown of the family unit. <laughs> like that that's what that that's yeah. what the 60s and the 70s have done. All of a sudden you don't even recognize your husband cuz you've lost what makes like a traditional nuclear family. If you just go and sleep and learn to love each other and probably have kids or something, you'll be good. What I love about that is that message is super pat and the oh, movie before they introduce you yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like you, you're right. This does feel like a premonition of like, which Reagan maybe era. it was less of a premonition, or just obviously I wasn't born in the in the 70s. I know none of us were. Maybe it just felt in, inevitable in the same way that like, even though there was, I definitely didn't think Trump was going to get elected, but it felt like things were going to keep getting worse. Like yeah, in like so, 2014. Yeah, I think that's the big failure of the 2007 one actually is it felt like it got remade too soon i i felt i i, I personally feel this was it about 9 11 i believe so it had to have been right yeah I, like, think, I think it was about like the war on terror and the bush administration which i understand the impetus for that but it, i don't know this doesn't feel like a story that should be told about the bush administration if that makes sense yeah it doesn't it doesn't fit no Really quick, like tangent. Was there a good movie made about the Bush administration that wasn't like a Taxi to the Dark Side or some documentary? Killing them softly. Oh, killing them softly. Where the last like ten minutes is a uh, is 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 a really interesting diatribe about uh, America's greed and how it ties into uh, you know the war on terror. I felt like that was solid. I also think it benefited from it was made right as Obama got elected, so it actually had a decent amount of distance. Yeah. Like, I mean... Yeah. I, I think that's... 
the key to a lot of great political movies is they tend to have some distance from the events, so you have that. Like, yeah. The best Vietnam movies were made years after the war was over, like Apocalypse Now. No, Green Berets was made in the middle of it, I believe. <laughs> well, we can't all... The great shot. can't all remember the classic. But yeah, like Apocalypse <laughs> Now and Platoon were late 70s, early 80s. It was more people reflecting on like, yeah, that was fucked up, wasn't it? Uh, what does that say for the country? What what did... And also with a sense of like, what did that do to our, our consciousness, right? And I feel like this that specificity you can do like 10 years later because you have like the range... Uh, in mind but like there's a reason they don't put out daily show box sets right like sometimes the 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 controversy of the moment is not that interesting but the controversy of the decade very much is right i Uh, mean they did make good reagan movies though while reagan was around yeah so that's actually what i would talk about really quickly so uh, oh yeah the idea of the idea of you being asleep you needed to see a vision but there's a lot of great movies about being asleep or or you know needing needing to open your eyes and see the world as it is um and uh, one of the things that unites those movies uh, is that they are just open-ended enough and just inviting enough to a public consciousness that, um, and, and they're mostly inviting you to a countercultural view. Challenge and be skeptical. Challenge and be skeptical. That uh, they actually ended up being co-opted by assholes. So this is a movie that yeah. could have been co-opted by assholes. I've seen the the meme uh, be used on like 4chan style sites and Reddit. Oh and yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, um, but not to the level that say The Matrix or They Live were, where like people were asking John Carpenter in interviews as of like three four years ago, like, did you intend They Live to be a anti-Semitic uh, diatribe against Jewish control of the media? And he was like. Absolutely fucking not. It was a movie about Ronald Reagan. How like how do you yeah. not see that? So like yeah. even even us uh, even a movie as as pointed as they live, not subtle um, as they live, uh, ends up being co opted by the worst people on the planet. Um, and it's sort of like red pill blue pill thing and the Matrix, like the terminology of of wokeness um, is very complicated now because on because when it started it was like. Hey, dude, like there's a lot of shit you're just not paying attention to, like wake up. And then eventually that started being like a thing that uh, uh, alt-right trolls co-opted um, and like Matthew falls. As- so the character uh, of um, Donald uh, Donald Sutherland falls asleep. Matthew falls asleep in the yard uh, after like fighting and fighting and fighting Um and as soon as he does, a pod fetus emerges, emerges from the bushes and, like, it immediately begins to replicate him. Like, the Earth, as soon as he falls asleep, the Earth is, like, ready to switch him over. And yeah. um, that's sort of, like, the fact that the movie is so aggressive and so forward-thinking in terms of, like, you need to be challenging, uh, you know, the narrative. You need to be skeptical. Um does actually in a weird way and and it makes the movie both uh last a longer time because it can appeal to you know audiences throughout time but it also creates this risk area where like this movie could be co-opted by the worst people on the planet and i feel like great film has to kind of accept that as a risk sometimes yeah yeah um you know there's there's a lot of npcs out there peter so uh would I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I learned that term recently, and then I learned, like, maybe a few months ago, and then I was watching something 
where I didn't real. I was watching some YouTube video about a topic I was interested in, like a video game, and it was like four people talking, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, well you know how the NPCs are," and I'm like, "Oh fuck, turn it off! I know what that is." But like six months ago, I went to fucking know that that's like uh, that 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 like I would have been like NPCs in the game. Like I, you know, it's amazing how much that that shit like. Sometimes you don't know what's been like. Uh, what's been used to like be like they're just they're just sheeple, man. They don't know about QAnon or whatever the fuck is uh, whatever else they're referring to. And then once you do, though, it is like it is like oh no, he said NPC. Turn it off. I I like that you mispronounced uh, QAnon because no, nope, that's think, what I call it. Do you think that do you think that people go to these conservative conferences and they have literally devoted their lives to these crazy uh, conspiracy theories and then they get there and then all of a sudden like they're all pronouncing their dumb bullshit that they made up in different ways because <laughs> they've only Here, read it online. <laughs> here's the thing. It's dumb bullshit. It doesn't have a right pronunciation. <laughs> well, well, if you take the... Don't uh, defend! If, are you defending QAnon? <laughs> if you take the neckbeard uh, approach to... <laughs> Yeah, yeah it is. But you're uh, right. Like good. this, I mean, you mentioned um, some other obvious touch points, like they live in the Matrix, which are are more infuriating, just because the the people who made those movies are like so aggressively against. Um, I honestly don't. I mean, I don't know where Philip Kaufman, the writer or I, or the writer of this movie, stands on issues in general. I, I get the sense that they would have been. Uh, liberal leaning and anti Reagan, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the iconography of like you're you're asleep and now you're waking up and seeing the truth that unfortunately is easier to like is something that is more described by like conspiracy theorist wackos than um than like oh hey yeah you know it's it's good to recognize like. That uh, we're all people and there's uh, not equality in this. Like, you know, that that feels um, like less. The iconography of waking up, I feel like, is used less, although it has it has happened more and more with that idea of, of being woke. But then that's been, as you said, Peter, immediately co-opted by some of the worst people. And it um, it is like someone can use woke and it's very hard to tell if they're being it's impossible that's why it's i stop saying it because it's impossible to tell if people are being ironic or if they're being sincere or they're being third tier ironic but they actually yeah. do believe where they where they justice. are sincere but they recognize <laughs> it's kind of like bro right like like yeah. there's there's people that use bro because it's sometimes it's a fun thing to say but also recognize the irony yeah. of, of 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 it bro be careful be careful what you're ironic about folks yeah Irony is a hell of a drug. Irony is a hell of a drug. At first, you're just like, I, I just do irony on the uh, when I'm drinking, and then <laughs> and then you're doing the dirty stuff, like you know, you're 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 getting into like gamer words and QAnon, and man, it's it's hard to come out of that. Yeah, yeah. I just work for Rathion, ironically. Yeah. Uh, that is that is sort of the overreaching theme of Wonder Shows. It is <laughs> look, irony can be dangerous. <laughs> Oh yeah, Wonder Showsen was weirdly prophetic for a show yeah. that hit uh, well before Reddit would like really exploded, or uh, you know when 4chan was purely a site for perverts, as opposed to now a uh, site for racists and perverts. Um, for racist perverts. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, we're. It feels like we're already barreling into the movie. There is so much to discuss here, so uh, so that we can talk about specific moments in relation great to the movie themes. as itself. Yes, it's a, such a great movie. Yeah, so let's let's go to the other side of the music break. We'll talk about the the plot, and then we'll probably pick up right where we left off because there's so much um, about the themes we just discussed that have a lot of specific points in the movie that I'm sure would be helpful to talk about. So, Peter. Morgan, are you guys ready to talk more about Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, now so- someone try to do the noise quick. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. It's no, right between my two my two high levels, like <laughs> How was That's that? pretty good. Thanks. That was really good. I will yeah. say, I big, to modulate. big shout out to the homie uh, Ben Burt. This was his first movie after Star Wars and uh, got just legend hit after hit with that sound design. Oh, yeah. It felt a little Philip Glassy for a little bit. And then I'm like, this can't be Philip Glass. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, great stuff. Um, yeah. We'll talk more about it. Stay awake, don't rest your head Don't lie down upon your bed While the moon drifts in the skies alternate taglines i I don't want to do it (laughs) not an option (laughs) it's not not gonna do it (laughs) oh oh oh, i got one uh let's talk about grex baby (laughs) um you want to see jeff goldblum transform no the uh, no a different one (laughs) the less sexy transformation the the other one the other one the other one he transforms yeah yeah yeah, that, that, that dude was always pretty sexy, though, I gotta say. He's very annoying in this movie. Was Am I wrong? You, th- you think he's annoying in this movie? Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, he's extremely annoying in this movie. And I, I like Jeff Goldblum, don't get me wrong. Oh, by the way, can I put an asterisk? If you- I will say I like Jeff Goldblum as of June 18th, 2020, based on the information I have provided to me at that time. Any anything that I say that nice about him after this point is null and void if if he chooses to be a monster. Uh, anyways, uh, J- I love Jeff Goldblum in this movie. He's so annoying in a way that I think is helpful to the movie. Don't get me wrong, but he's just this yeah. Sort of, he, he's this sort of like uh, conspiracy dork hanger on um, that like he and his wife character played by Victoria Veronica Cartwright um yeah. who's also an alien uh they sort of form this like this like interesting uh like uh these counterculture uh dorks that hang out with our main characters and sort of help flesh out what the conspiracies were at the time in 1978 and how those conspiracies of the time would feed into uh, overall paranoia about a real actual threat of alien invasion in the movie. Yeah, I also, but I do like that, like, he had, they have this, like, friend in their group who some, you know, became a famous author. And, like, I picture a time that both of them were in college or whatever together and they both wanted to be writers. 
One succeeded beyond probably anyone's expectations. And then there's Jeff Goldblum, who's like, this guy sucks as a writer, but he's also my friend. Um, I love it. I think it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love the the friend dynamic in this because it's a very much like a uh, a friend dynamic of a bunch of adult people with their own preoccupations in their 30s, which is something that I'm starting yeah. to recognize more and more as time goes on. Um and the idea that everyone's kind of living their separate lives, but um, you do have these like connection points where you're like, oh, wait, like it's time for us to go over to that guy's house. It's time for us to go over to where this person's book event, uh, even though everything else is going crazy in the world. Yeah. So what is going crazy? So it starts out. There's some there's a little bit of mist, some spores, maybe um, on a on a uh, indescript alien planet that make their way to Earth. It very much has that uh, thing opening. Except I think th- things a spaceship, right? I mean, obviously, it's not spores. <laughs> I think it's it's on a planet, and then the spores roll through space, and then re-propagate yeah. on other planets, yeah. and then spend other spores through space. So I think it's sort of yeah. like a... a hate like you're showing the chain, uh, yeah. chain yeah. evolution. I, I mean, Nimoy, uh-huh. I think, doesn't it Nimoy who says they, they ride they ride the solar winds? They ride the solar winds. <laughs> and it's fucking... Do you think Nimoy was channeling Carl Sagan in some of this movie? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Nimoy rules in this movie. <laughs> um, but uh, it's nice to... Nimoy's kind of the only Star Trek person that's like, we can still cast him in movies where he's not kind of the joke that he's in. Like, Shatner got to do T.J. Hooker, but it was like, it's William Shatner as T.J. Hooker, guys. Uh, anyway. This uh, actually, his character in this does hint at Nimoy's post-Star Trek career, not as an actor, but as sort of a... Uh, um, uh, a thought a, a thought uh, what do you call it like a, a what, what thought leader i think was the word that they taught us when i was a senior in college like thought leadership um like he would he would talk about science publicly and like he even like you know even in his film work like he directed a brave new world adaptation in the 90s that's very bad like yeah he was supposed to sort of trying to get like an intellectual idea um out to the the mass uh, pop consciousness well, he was very well liked too. So he had like a lot of different avenues in different studio systems that allowed him to kind of work on, uh, yeah, work on various things. It is funny though that both him and both, like, so Riker in Star Trek: Next Generation was the first officer. He was the first officer on Star Trek. It is funny the way that while they are not similar at all, their careers intersected in weird ways. Like they both directed the best, uh, some of the best Star Trek movies of their respective series. Uh, they both also like did a lot of directing of other movies, and then they both also um, hosted like uh, is is it science or is it ghosts show. Um, obviously the one that, uh, Jonathan Franks hosted, uh, has, is very meme, like beyond belief. It's so good. It's so good. good. But Nimoy hosted like one of the first ones of that, like type of genre. Um, what was it called? Well, I'm trying to look it up. I just, I find it weird. I I would type it myself, but I have a, uh, I have a, it's funny because I kind of, 
I, I kind of grew up with with as much Nimoy as Spock in my mind as like Nimoy as the um, Simpsons In Search parody. Of. Sorry. In Search, in search Of. Yeah. In Search Of. It ran for 145 episodes. Like, Which is crazy. Like, Which was what? Yeah. what uh, season and a half? <laughs> 1976 to 1982. That's Huge crazy. hit. That's Just crazy. him going, I don't know. Did... Uh, did ghosts build the pyramids? <laughs> I'm or, was it, or was it just smart people of color? Uh, we may yeah. never know. No. We may uh, never know. Uh, How long do you I think Beyond it. Belief uh, ran for? Let's see. The, 1997 the, to 2002. The same amount of years. Oh, my God. What the fuck? Um, I, I, 220. Uh, yeah, only 45 episodes, though. I, I was just as much familiar with Nimoy as Spock. Actually, maybe more so I was familiar with the, his sort of Simpsons parody as this sort of like. Oh, yeah what's out there like that kind of uh that kind of image uh growing didn't up because I... I didn't as we discuss on uh star trek i didn't grow up with uh with star trek the show at all so like i'm familiar with nimoy in the role in this movie uh yeah that, i mean that makes sense like not having seen star trek until recently uh your touch points for nimoy are very different than a lot of people i imagine uh, but okay. yeah Anyways, the spores grow, and they land on Earth. So, uh, Matthew is played by Donald Sutherland. He is a health inspector in San Francisco who's friends with uh, Elizabeth Driscoll, played by Brooke Adams. Uh, Matthew and Elizabeth are like, feel like they had a will they or won't they, and then Elizabeth ended up uh, marrying uh, someone else at some point. Uh, But they're like work colleagues and best friends and talk about stuff. And essentially what they start talking about after about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes is my husband seems super weird. My husband is talk going around and talking to people I've never seen before. There's a trash compactor showing up at her door. Like I know that my husband is not my husband and Don Sutherland's character. Matthew is like, that's, you know, is, is both like listening and trying to be a good friend, but also recognizing like, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to just be like, even when you're a supportive friend, uh, to go, oh, yeah, no, your husband probably has been replaced by someone. So they kind of go a little bit investigation. And while they're going around the city, they start uh, – uh, Donald Sutherland starts noticing um, more and more people that the, he's hearing this from. He drops off his dry cleaning and the dry cleaner uh, owner is like, that's not my wife. Like, I don't know who it is. It's not my wife. You're a you're you're in some level of authority. Can you do something about the fact that this isn't this is my wife? And he's like, yeah, I'm a health inspector. I can't really can't really do much there. Um, And uh, so eventually you meet some other people in their group, which is Veronica Cartwright's Nancy. uh, And who is who is married to Jeff Goldblum's uh, Jack. And they end up going to a party with their mutual friend, uh, David, played by Leonard Nimoy, uh, who has become, as we mentioned, a successful uh, psychologist author, kind of ironically, except not for children, a Dr. Benjamin Spock, uh, a pop author with a lo- uh, with that writes a lot of uh, psychology books that um, that uh, 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 Jack, uh, Jeff Goldblum's characters, thinks is full of shit. And that he was always the better author. So they go to this party. And at this point, uh, Elizabeth really is like, hey, uh, I this is like this is not my husband. I am more and more sure of it. He's been going around doing all this weird stuff. I followed him 
And uh, eventually they kind of kind of come around to maybe, okay, I do believe her. And while this all this is happening, um, Nancy, Veronica Cartwright's character, runs these this mud bath spa that seems very gross, kind of. <laughs> um, I think that's sort but, of feeling the like sort of new agey kind of yeah. uh, uh, approach to this movie that like there are people alive in a very progressive city of San Francisco that would be. Uh, prone to believing any conspiracy um and uh because they're they're very much like healthy and new agey yeah and uh so essentially uh um um we go cut back to the mud bath area and um Jack comes back frustrated with how the night went with David and uh, his book party and everything else. And it's like, I just need to take a good old fashioned mud bath. And while he's getting ready for his massage or something, he comes back or first Nancy comes back and is like, oh, shit. What is this like gelatin form in its place? And then um, uh, Jack comes back and he has a bloody nose and pretty soon the gelatin form of like a person same height as his looks like the same build starts having a bloody nose they start calling people over to be like holy shit what is going on by the time that uh david gets there the body's gone uh, and they don't know what what's happened. So essentially, there's a lot of this. Everyone coming together. David's especially saying, "You guys are crazy." It's the breakdown of the family unit. While uh, they keep ending up in situations where finally they start seeing evidence of this. So uh, uh, Elizabeth goes back home with her husband. Goes to sleep. The second they they kind of realize this shit's going on, they try to wake her up. Her husband uh, stops them from getting in contact. They show up there. Uh, see like the pod see uh see some evidence that this is happening um and call the police and the police are like i don't know what's going on elizabeth seems to be fine and so uh they take elizabeth out of there and try to start outrunning this which uh eventually what ends up happening they keep outrunning it they keep trying to get help they keep trying to call certain people and the more and more they realize oh shit more and more of this town is clearly uh pod people it's clearly been body snatched and uh in a very scary scene they like get in a cab which seems normal and the cab to get to the airport to get out of there cab driver takes him to this like police run up where they just are like that's how they're catching people like get in the cab you're going to the airport here you go we're gonna we're gonna capture you and, and force you to change uh do you know who the cab driver is uh william shatner don siegel who directed the original, oh yeah the original movie yeah uh, i did not i i knew he was in the movie i forgot to look what his cameo was yes. so that's awesome and then the um so star of the movie is the, have we gotten to the dude screaming, oh god, they're taking us over? No, that's uh, Kevin McCarthy. That's like 20 minutes into the movie. I wanted to circle back there because I think uh, to ask uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it in the recap only because I'm interested what you guys think of this. That technically supposed to be um, b- both that scene and also that it's actually supposed to link the two movies based on what the director said. So anyways, I'll, we'll circle back to that scene. Uh, but uh, so eventually they um, more and more people get turned. Jeff Goldblum gets turned. Um, uh, David very quickly gets turned um, or, or for the back half doesn't seem to struggle. And now Veronica Cartwright, Nancy has kind of 
disappeared and has like kind of figured it out. Like if you just don't show emotion and walk around, they don't know that you're not there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, uh, Donald Sutherland and uh, so confusing. Hold on. Meanwhile, Matthew and Elizabeth uh, emerge and like the town is gone. There's basically people go get your pods, get in line, go give your pods to other people. They're starting to coordinate how that this infection is going to move on past, past San Francisco. Uh, Matthew and Elizabeth try to blend in until they spot a dog human hybrid freak out and then the jig is up and everyone starts running down the street screaming this inhuman yelp at them uh, to identify them as not changed uh, they finally meet back up with uh, with David and uh, Jack and they brought other people including uh, Elizabeth's husband and they're like hey it's fine we're, we're sure we're alien spores we change you, but your memories, your pers- like who you are is still intact. You just essentially don't feel emotions. You don't feel pain. You don't feel anything, You you, but you're still you. And, of course, uh, people like Jack is like, no, it's good. It's fine. Just come aboard. Everything's going to be okay. They escape but have real trouble staying awake. Uh, eventually, un- Elizabeth falls asleep and is immediately uh, replaced. It's kind of getting quicker. Um, uh, Matthew runs into like a factory where they seem to be making pods and, and, and kind of futilely blows it up and then escapes cut to a San Francisco city that is just people walking slowly going about their day. Uh, you, you're under the impression that Donald Sutherland uh, has figured out how to blend in and is frustrated by that, but doesn't know what else to do at this point as the loudspeaker announces all their plans to continue the infection outward into different one city at a time, essentially, or multiple cities at a time, but a very, it's nice that they have a good growth structure, right? They're not, they really do. It's, it's, it's an exponential growth. Like you get this city and then this city goes three more cities and they seem to have a good plan. Yeah. Like they don't want to do the thing that happened to Chick-fil-A where they like expanded out too fast and then they shrunk because, you know, they just did overexpand themselves. And then it took them another like 10 years to expand back out to be a national chain again. Like you, you have to control your growth strategy, uh, when you're you're taking over the world with a smiling face, yeah. And the other thing that these guys do better, as far as we know, they're not uh, bigots. Like they're yeah. definitely these these aliens. But are... they're both taking over the world with a smile. True. <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, so uh, you see, it's a really nice ten minute sequence of like Matthew walking around. He's going. He sees Elizabeth doing her thing. Like I said, they're but essentially like zombies living through their life because uh, they don't they don't have uh, any emotions. They don't have any desires. They don't have any wants. They don't have any fears. Uh, but they just kind of go about their day. Um, and then all of a sudden we see Nancy, Veronica Cartwright, who had kind of disappeared and she sees, um, sees Matthew and is like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing it too. Like we're, we're the same. And in a, uh, one of the best endings of all time, I don't even feel uh, like that's hyperbole to say that Matthew opens his mouth, points at her and lets out that inhuman scream that, Oh, Matthew wasn't faking. Uh, he, uh, he had been caught sometime after he futilely attempted to destroy their breeding ground. So, uh, yeah, that's a very lengthy uh, recap. But I, and I still feel like I missed 20 parts. 
But uh, it is it is a two hour movie that flies by. Uh, it is so so fucking good and has has so many twists and turns throughout that. Uh, while also rewatching it this time, which is probably like the fourth or fifth time I've seen it. It's amazing how quickly like her husband has disappeared and she's like, uh, or her husband has been replaced and she's like, that's not my husband. It's like eight minutes into the movie. Uh, yeah. And if you watch it, uh, with the knowledge of, uh, this is very much a movie that rewards a second viewing, a third viewing, because there's a paranoia that seeps through the entire thing. Um, getting there's kids in the very beginning who are like the, the teacher is encouraging them like yeah go play with the plants in the bushes and you're like yeah is the teacher just being an encouraging teacher or is the teacher uh you know already a pod person and they they selectively found this teacher that could help you know encourage a whole class of kids to get it and then the kids bring it home to their parents and yada yada um and then also there's this amazingly creepy shot this movie scared me by the way yeah like, i I didn't expect that. I expected to engage with it intellectually and not in a like a, a actual visceral sort of level. I was I was very anxious when this was over. Um, yeah. But there's a there's a lot of great sort of um, <laughs> almost Halloween like uh, pod people staring in awkward, just act behaving strangely and observing in the backgrounds of shot. And the, my favorite one is they're walking down the hallway of the health inspector office and you are still very much getting to know these characters. So you're watching Donald Sutherland, uh, you're watching Matthew and you're watching Elizabeth, uh, in, in, interact. And in the background, there's just a guy standing behind, what do you call like the, the you know, the, the te- tempered glass, foggy glass, the like tempered yeah. glass, uh, just standing with like their eyes right up against the glass observing. Um, and it's very, and it's a, it's in a tracking shot or maybe a handheld shot, but regardless, a tracking shot. Um, and when that moment happens, you're like, oh, 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 oh shit. Like. This is this this began a lot earlier than I yeah. remember on my first viewing. <laughs> yeah, and at first, because the first viewing, you actually get angry because you're like, "These are the worst extras I've ever seen <laughs> in my life." <laughs> you don't look at the camera, <laughs> um, and then by second viewing, you realize it's uh, it's doing something different. But yeah, there's so many little things like that, like the garbage truck disposal stuff, like where there's all these garbage trucks that show up outside of houses and they throw stuff in. And a lot, sometimes in the background, sometimes it's just someone looking out the window and you don't realize like how creepy that is. It really is like that case of like exponential growth of like, yeah, it starts out a little small, got to build some seeds. And then at some point before you even know it, like you come out of a building and they have uh, dump trucks unloading the pods to everyone because it's it's changed once it hits that like that uh, that uh, jump point where there's uh, where it's where it's just it, it's advanced so much so quickly uh, you turn around and you don't even realize how much everything's changed which I mean feels especially especially resident right now as I think most of us have spent some measure of time in the last six months uh, staring at maps of exponentials <laughs> uh, unrelated to uh, COVID 
Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Like, it's not just a 70s paranoia movie. It's also a 70s disaster movie because yeah. it, it takes a sort of scientific approach to the invasion. And yeah. um, it's the fact that it's a scientist and a health inspector crew are kind of like centering the movie uh, is very mm-hmm. interesting. Like, it feels almost like Andromeda Strain at times where not so much that it's focused on, you know, the biology or the anatomy of the thing and how it works and breaking that down but it's focused on the process of discovery uh in a way that i find uh, extremely satisfying because you're not just dealing with dumb teenagers dealing with the pod people right you're um you are dealing with smart this is what i love about the thing john carpenter's the thing is my favorite movie of all time and uh you're dealing with smart competent people who are trying their damnedest to defeat this and it's not fucking enough yeah and they have connections right like they not only do they have um yeah people like uh psychologists how like smart people in there like donald sutherland's like hey i know a guy that works at the i think the department of defense or the just like i know federal people like we are affluent successful white people in the 70s it's like we have connections that go back from all the various uh schools we got our masters and doctorates and everything else at and nothing works like every call they are they are thwarted at every turn the gentle way that uh bureaucracy defeats them is what makes this movie last i think for for uh the ages to me um the, the way that Donald Sutherland finally, he's like, I have connections to the fucking mayor's office of San Francisco and he has connections yeah. to the governor. Like, I can get this shit up to the president. And the way he just keeps calling and calling and that sort of paranoid uh, 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 photography of him swirling around the fo- the phone booth um, and, and the claustrophobia of the phone booth. That's something that, that uh, photographers have lost, film photo- cinematographers have lost, uh, is the phone booth because it's such an amazing cinema object because it's just someone trapped in a box just yelling their their the, like the, yelling out to the cosmos like somebody fucking yeah. help me and now we don't have phone booths anymore it sucks um anyways uh the the, the he, he keeps calling up the chain calling up the chain and he realizes it without any, a single confession from the pod people that he is going to be thwarted. No one's going to help him. And the way that they use bureaucracy and they use the niceties of sort of like, you know, uh, political customer service to basically talk around his concerns and be like, oh, the last thing we want is to start a panic. They say stuff like that. Like, I'm not going to do anything, but also you shouldn't do anything. Like, basically watering down all of his 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 oil is uh, fucking fucking so potent it's not like they're like they're like we know where you are we're coming to get you instead they're like yeah sorry you're trying you're trying to raise this up the flagpole i'm an alien anyways uh so gotta gotta go okay love Mm you bye you could definitely make a great uh horror comedy of making invasion of the body snatchers in the midwest with like the the midwest nice kind of thing (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) Just that, you could uh, just have that one scene just over and over again. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, it's um, uh, you know what? I, I'm so sorry. I can't really help you. Let me get my boss. He'll get back to you in like three business days. And I am so very sorry. I'm so. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, jeez. 
Oh, 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 and then the and then Donald saw the one and be like, uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 fine. I don't mean to worry you. Um, I mean, I saw I saw a guy get. You know, it's I don't I don't want to worry your head about this. You know, let you let your boss get back to me in a couple of days and we'll talk then. All right? Yeah. How's that going? That's that's great. Okay, how you doing? The the. The 2020 version is just someone going like, I've both said operator and pressed zero. Please stop taking me back to the main menu. Uh, my husband's been replaced. Uh, oh, and this. Oh, the let's talk about the cop scene as well. Because I think that's... I, oh, I, yeah. So that's the Kevin McCarthy scene, right? Like, uh, or is that... Or, or are you no, talking about the cops at the house? No, um, but... I'm talking about the cops of the house, but we do have to talk about okay. the Kevin McCarthy scene because I feel like that's hitting on something different. But let's talk about the cops of the house really okay. quickly. So uh, Donald Sutherland uh, is going uh, – excuse me, Matthew Donald Sutherland is going to the house to rescue Elizabeth, um, <laughs> who is, is being potted. She's starting to pass out. She's – her husband, Jeffrey, or, you know, long-term boyfriend, Jeffrey, is is been turned. He's one of the first people in the movie we know is, like, confirmed turned. Um and uh, they seem to have kind of a shitty marriage, so that distance is sort of uh, already growing when the movie begins. Um, and he is acting strangely in a way that sets her off, though. Like, he's not a perfect facsimile, but it's it's kind of interesting because they ground this in, like, a domestic drama. Like, it's almost like she's like, is he having an affair? Like, her first suppositions are basically, like, is he having an affair? Like, what? And we never see him. I'm actually scratching my head to remember um, we never see him non-potted, right? No. I don't believe yeah, we, By the way, getting potted is my favorite uh, Tumblr. <laughs> <laughs> um, we see him, I mean, we, I, uh, maybe, maybe not. He seems friendlier in the first scene, but in like a sort of dumb, blase boyfriend kind of way. Like he's watching uh, uh, basketball on the TV with the headphones in and he's like doing, he's essentially doing the thing that every single, I think every single like man uh, can relate to which is like when you're you're supposed to be being an attentive partner and instead you're looking at your fucking phone like it happens to to everyone yeah like somehow like we're recording this podcast and i give my final thoughts and then like i go on facebook after we're done i'm like oh peter commented 17 minutes ago <laughs> Well, that's when we were recording the podcast. Uh, sometimes it's on bathroom breaks, Aaron. We've we've done we've gone through the Zapruder film on this before. Um, anyways, um, but the, the the point is that like he's sort of a distant boyfriend to begin with, and then there's sort of like almost a domestic violence or you know a collapse of a relationship kind of thing going on. Yeah, and then uh, Matthew's first attempt to call the cops. And I love how ineffectual it is. Um, they arrive. They may or may not have already been potted. It doesn't matter because they don't help. Like they, it really is. Is if you are not part of the fight, if you're not on the yeah. you know the side of this the the side of the right, then you're on the side of the pod people in this. And the way that the cops are just like basically like, well, I mean, if she, if she's if, she, if you know you're not pressing charges to the to the boyfriend or you know the husband or whatever if you're not pressing charges you know there's not much we can do here just st and then uh, essentially they need dr spock to be like uh well not that dr spock um, <laughs> the other dr spock uh to be like uh no uh he's a do uh, i'm a doctor i'm taking him into my care like he will get the help he needs basically convincing the cop like don't worry about this this white man invading this other white man's home like i will i will fix this this rift 
in this domestic rift that has happened. And the cop is like, okay, I guess that's fine. You know, you're sure you're not, don't want to press charges, uh, uh, you know, a uh, guy whose house he just got broken into. <laughs> like that sort of, that sort of exchange is, is all part of the, the, the same theme, which is like, if the systems, if the systems that we rely on betray us and obscure us, they can hurt us way, way, way more than they ever would have helped us. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, which is, which is uh, you know, while we're talking about that, let's talk about the Kevin McCarthy scene. Because the Kevin McCarthy scene is sort of tan- tangential to that, right? Like, uh, Aaron, do you want to run down what, what, what happens there? Yeah. I, I, so, there's a, if you haven't seen the original, Kevin McCarthy is basically the, the lead. He's the one that... Uh, is running around realizing that people are pods and trying to let people uh, find out. And that movie ends um, in that same not-so-happy ending, but not with the complete all hope is lost, uh, They the good guys have lost scene. Um, he, he, but he runs towards the camera in a very, like, 50s-era sci-fi horror movie and is, you know, at this point, stark raving mad. He is screaming at anyone that will listen, but has kind of lost the battle of words and goes to the camera and says, they're coming for you. Look to your seat. Look at left to you. Uh, they're coming. Um, uh, and I was pretty subtle in that performance comparatively, but I, I do. It's a, it's a great 1950s ending, right? Like, um, look at the theater. That's where the horror is. Um, the what so philip kaufman kind of liked the idea of that actually to use your analogy peter these aliens did have the chick-fil-a roll out um they did do some replacing because i don't uh uh it or earlier on in some other cities and that actually what we're seeing is san francisco be one of the cities that starts to get infected which, of course, the whole great thing about this is that you don't know until the city falls, that it's basically infected. Who would report on the city that that happened to? Because uh, the original does not take place in San Francisco. I forget where it takes place. But the idea that um, Kevin McCarthy's character is following the trail and is a madman and is screaming the end is coming as each city, unfortunately, he sees fall and uh, ends up in San Francisco that he's playing the same character, still trying to scream at anyone that listened to please, please stop this from happening. Uh, and he gets, uh, he gets chased down the street. Like this is 20 minutes into the movie. Donald Sutherland's driving, uh, and he screams into their car, runs away. Um, and off screen, they hear like, they, they see like 20 people chase him. Uh, and then he gets, uh, he gets uh, gunned down or murdered or hit by, no, sorry, hit by a car is the implication, although it seems to have happened very suddenly. And as uh, they drive by, as Elizabeth and Matthew drive by, it's like a police car and an ambulance that seems to have hit that hit him. And there's like 30 people around just kind of staring as they as they go past. Uh, and I was cu- I'm very curious what you guys think about the scene or even just the concept of this being in some ways like a sequel. The idea that the pods were were have been uh been been expanding out for 20 years or so uh and and that that Kevin McCarthy finally meets his doom at in this particular in iteration of it but uh that cities have slowly been getting replaced for decades. Can I throw in something really quickly before we talk about the yeah. Kevin McCarthy thing? <clears throat> the I've been talking so much tonight but this movie is just so fucking good. Um the 
fact that they grew it out from a small town to a city. The original script was about a small town, as Morgan noted earlier. Yeah. Um, And then D.W. Richter and Philip Coffin basically one day were like, let's let's do it in a big city because they liked the idea. Yes. Of setting it in a modern progressive metropolis. But also um, they liked the idea of a city being a place that the individual disappears and the, the, the mass consciousness appears and you can disappear into the whole. And that, that has both, that has both uh, anybody that's lived in a major city or like, you know, has even spent a significant amount of time in a major city. Like I lived in Chicago for eight or nine years and lived in New York for a summer. Um, now I live in a smaller city in San Diego, but still I get some of this sometimes. Um, the idea that you can disappear in a city can be both like liberating and not liberating. Like it can be both yeah. like depending on on your mood and your approach and how connected you are to, with the flow, it can be very isolating. And the idea mm-hmm. that they can drive by the scene of a horrific, a horrific accident, a horrific crime, what, whichever perspective you take. Um, and that for them, because they're in a big city, that's just a thing that they witnessed. That was just a crazy thing they saw on the way to work is something that would be impossible and would not make the dynamics would not make sense for a small town. That dynamics no. makes sense for a, a big city where like I will uh, I'll be like, shit, why was why is my train taking like when I was in Chicago? I'd be like, why is my train taking so long? And then you get to work and then you flip open your phone later on like a lunch break or a meeting break. And you'd be like, oh, someone threw themselves in front of the train this morning. That's why my train was late. Like <laughs> that's sort of like. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've driven of- past a I've driven past an accident because, you know, it's bad traffic every single day. You're getting across a metro in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. I mean, I've driven by like, oh, shit, why is this traffic jam terrible? And then an hour later, like, oh, I just drove past a covered up dead body on the side of the road. Yeah. Like, and stuff there. And so They moved people, it to one lane. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what. sometimes to disappear, but also sometimes your suffering is just swallowed up by the whole and it's absorbed yeah. or maybe each each person you pass that day took, you know, one one hundredth or one one thousandth of of your suffering. But that's not enough for you to even like register as a tragedy. So that that's the first part I want to talk about, because like <laughs> that's that's something that really registered with me. Like you see something horrific and then you go on with your day and you're like, shit, I saw someone die today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's part of it. I do think it also has what might be funniest line in the movie where uh uh matthew where like elizabeth goes like oh god like what should we help him like what should we do and then matthew's like ah the police will handle it and then immediately the police drive by and kill him which (laughs) is yep terrifying but uh yeah also feels uh yeah, ripped from today's yeah, headlines. No shit. Yeah, no shit. It's both. It, it's timely if you think timely means the past four hundred years. Yeah, it's yeah, it, yeah. That's it's just it. That's why I said it's uh, on people's minds yes, more exactly. than like it just started. Yeah, yeah we we're we're one to one on that. I, it's just it's yeah. it's funny because like that. It's just something. It is important people... to know. Like, hey, when did the police start killing people? Yeah, like, uh, forever. I they think, were designed. Yeah, for. I think this all white cast with a white director and a white screenwriter were more focused on the sort of uh, the failures of bureaucratic systems to actually help individuals as opposed to like hey when you're a minority you're treated like this all the time Uh, i don't think they were focused on that but just like aaron's political reading of the movie earlier like that's what's amazing about this movie is that 
you can see yourself reflected in it because not that it's vague enough or that it's 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 undefined enough, but that it's um, it, it reaches out to everybody at once. Uh, so what do you guys think about the actual, just from a cinematic point? Because Kevin McCarthy's performance is so out of place in this movie. Um, but I kind of like, I mean, it's not like the movie succeeds or fails on whether this is actually the first iteration or like a move to a, a large town. But I, I really like the, the idea that there's some continuity. Like the, it took over a small town. It Because uh, it does feel of a piece, even if the methodology is much grosser in this one which i definitely want to spend a little time talking about the amazing creepy special effects uh in this wonderful family-friendly pg movie um the 70s were so great like i don't know nudity and someone's head getting smashed in with a hammer parental guidance um but uh yeah uh what do you guys think of the actual scene itself speaking as Someone with a screenwriting degree. <laughs> um, <laughs> it serves as um, what uh, one of my screenwriting professors always said that uh, in a horror movie, especially, which I think is apt here. What sucks about horror movies when you're writing them is that on one hand, you really want to get to the part where people are fucking murdering each other and killing each other, and you know, all hell's breaking loose. But if you get to that right away, well, then you end up with like you know, like a how Friday the 13th part 8 where it's like well the character I spent the most time with is the the fucking serial killer so I guess he's my protagonist so you need <laughs> to set up like you know you need to set up these characters so you actually feel bad for them or you feel the horror when you know they get their head smashed in with a shovel or they die off screen and become a pod person um but an easy way to kind of still snap the audience to attention and get the um get the audience in uh, a, realizing it's a horror movie, and B, give them basically just a quick shot of that horror adrenaline before you settle in for another 40 minutes of character building, is to do something like that in the first 30 minutes, where you kill yeah. someone who's not that important, or whose character you get right away. And that's why I don't mind his performance as, like, this stark raving madman compared to the rest of the movie. Yeah. Because you do get his character immediately. Like, even if yeah. you don't believe the sequel theory you get that this is a dude who he was the first to know he's fucking terrified and you immediately can sympathize with him because you know the title of the movie. Yeah. And I'm not like, I'm not trying to say like, Oh, what an interesting fan theory. Like <laughs> it's the director who's like, yeah, I thought he plays the same character and there's continuity between the two. Right. No, no, no. Thing. I'm not saying that, yeah, but yeah. I am saying like, no, I know you're, I know right. you're not, but in case, in case you haven't read it, I'm not, no. uh, Hey, do you think that maybe a Woody was uh, that kid's dad? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'll kill you. Um, yeah, but no, no. Like, I, I, okay, I was saying more in like, if you haven't seen the '50s original, like I haven't. Yeah, you yeah. would still immediately get like, this is a dude who knows what's going on, and I feel bad for him because yeah. no one else is listening to him. So you get that yeah. shot of horror, you get that visceral reaction. And then, yeah, there's that next, like, 20, 30 minutes of character building before anything really, like, outwardly, viscerally scary happens again. Like, that, like yeah. there's still the creeping dread and paranoia, but you don't get the... Oh, God. Uh, I mean, you know, I think Jordan Peele said, like, the reason he was so easy... It was so easy to transition to horror is, like, it has the exact same setup as comedy, where it's, you know, yeah. words, 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 punchline. You want to give the audience a punchline in the first... 
30-ish minutes, so that way they're invested enough to stick around. Like, I mean, even even prestige horror like The Witch, where, uh, I mean, that spoilers for The Witch, but the baby gets murdered in the first 25 minutes? Before <laughs> yeah. there's an hour of... Well, it's because it's cause they didn't pray hard enough. Yeah, they didn't pray hard enough, so the, so the witch extracts revenge by turning the baby into flat, into, into, into delicious raspberry jelly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, even in prestige horror movies, they're the, the quote-unquote elevated horror. You, you'll notice, like, in the first 20, 30 minutes, there's gonna be something like a murder happens, or the monster shows up for, like, a brief moment. And then it settles into that nice groove of character building before we get to the second half of Act 2 when, ah, this is what you came here to see. So. Yeah, and, and I gotta say, like, the central performances are so lovely. Like, um, I, I know, like, <laughs> I grew up with old man Donald, Pleas- or Donald Sutherland, who... Uh, and Pleasant. You grew up with both. Yeah, everyone grew up with old man Donald Pleasants. I'm pretty sure he was born as a uh, paranoid 60-year-old. Um, but but uh, I grew up with uh, with old man Don- Donald Sutherland largely playing villains. Um, and the idea of Donald Sutherland being like, um, you know, this this old calculating man this old sexless uh you know golem of uh, of political machinations or whatever right like uh, uh i forgot and i've seen don't look now don't worry um i forgot that he used to be not necessarily a sex symbol but i forgot that he used to be like a young sort of vibrant leading man in the in this sort of sense where like um he he, he had a bit of scruffiness the way uh, Dustin Hoffman would, um, but he was still like a leading man. Like he was, he was allowed to be romantic and gentle and fragile and, 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 and sensitive. And like, I love the idea that at the beginning of this movie, um, he, essentially Elizabeth, uh, who's played by Brooke Adams and is amazing. She's so yeah. charming. Um, I love the idea that at the beginning of this movie, like she has more of a connection to her like boss at the health department or, you know, what a colleague at the health department um, than she does her own husband. And like, it seems like it seems like this conflict just accelerated her falling into his arms as opposed to, oh, these two disparate, they'll never get along kind of types thrown together. It feels like their relationship is actually growing deeper and more honest. And they're, they're sort of bonding and suffering uh, in a way that like uh, sort of serves the theme that like there's a there's there, there is a um, destabilization of the American family. But that's not actually what this is about. This is not about the destabilization no. of, of the American family, but it, it, it is part of it. The idea that like the, the old structures, the police, the, you know, uh, city hall, uh, your marriage, the church, all these old structures didn't offer you the protection that you were promised as a child. Yeah, and also just I think the re-rise of like uh, that kind of religious conservatism, like that eventually like coalesces to get Ronald Reagan elected, but it you know it's it's growing in momentum like at this point too, and so you have like the David character being like, "Yep, family unit." <laughs> That's why you feel 
feel uh, alone sometimes. It's, it's the go get me. It's the it's the chaos of the female uh, form uh, overriding the order of the uh, um, the order of the masculine form and of the traditional family unit. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Jack! You ever think about fucking your wife and maybe you'll feel fine again? <laughs> <laughs> do you, do, uh, Aaron? I don't, I don't mean to get personal, but you've talked about it a lot in the show. Um, do you think that? Do you see any sort of Doctor Spock like stuff in your parents in that sort of like uh, hi- hippie? Free thinking, free love stuff, uh, getting poisoned and turned into conservatism, Fam- family values, conservatism. No, so that definitely happened to my parents, as I've talked about many times on the show. They were like, they met in the Peace Corps. <laughs> they were uh, extremely like liberal left, and and uh, you know, and that went on for longer than like this, though. Like, um, like my dad voted for Jesse Jackson in nineteen eighty eight. Um, and like campaign for him in Montana. In my Stop head, in my head, he became a, a Reagan guy, but I don't know. No, why. no, I, fucking hated Reagan. That's, yeah, that's very weird. No, I I actually think it's it's actually something much more specific, which um I I've talked a lot about. It's like uh, the baby boomer distrust of government because of Watergate essentially morphing into modern day conservatism. So, and I actually think there's a touch point in this in this movie. Like, I think if you were a conservative watching this, I think the fact that Donald Sutherland's character works in a health inspector, which uh, seems like something that if you were uh, watching Fox News, they would be like, health inspectors, FDA, it's not, it's just the government trying to control your freedom with, instead of letting you just have your restaurant in the free enterprise system, they come and tell you stuff to, to shut down these, you know, blah, 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 like, and in and, and, and the same way that, like, um, I don't think, like, like Ghostbusters, in retrospect, looks like, um, looks like an anti, is looks like a conservative movie, but I think, like, the, the that kind of, like, uh, Second City, Animal House, like, we're against the government is specifically an idea that's formed from the government of the Watergate era and the Vietnam era when like all the, like my parents saw their friends go off and die, you know, at war, it was the government that was doing that was, which was primarily like a Nixon type thing. And so I think, but I think that like distrust of big government in the form of conservatism eventually led them around to religion and like hating the idea of like um, liberal or socialist or left politics. So I actually think like it's a very interesting change and it's not consistent, but I think it's more than just my parents that went uh, academically, like in real life, it's horrifying as a change. But um, I I think it's actually interesting the way that morphed, which is I think why you also have like conservative, like why you see a certain sect of baby boomers who like when uh, the Republicans and Trump controlled essentially the Supreme Court, the um, the Congress, both Senate and House and the presidency were still railing against the threat of big government when they were just essentially deciding everything like they, there, there really is that like the government is this omnipresent force that is that is essentially associated with like overreach and meddling in your personal freedoms and killing you that is like separate from like the people and the ideas actually running it that's where i think it comes from i want to get back to sexy sutherland because sexy it is sutherland. sexy sutherland 
it's uh, I had seen so I saw this movie and Mash uh, probably when I was like sixteen or seventeen, and it was like, huh. That weird villain who shows up as guest stars in some of the uh, Lois and Clark type shows I watch. Um, like, it didn't register for me at that age. And then when you see, like, yeah, when uh, you see Don't Look Now and stuff, it's like, huh, he was like, he was a little bit of, like, he was a sexy dude. Like, it, it's very easy to see now, but, like, you're right, Peter. Like, uh, just seeing him initially as, like, kind of, like, old man villain guest star his stars waned a little bit so he's not always showing up in the best property uh or if he is he's showing up as like and donald sutherland and shit like outbreak and time to kill and stuff like that um but yeah stupid sexy sutherland stupid sexy sutherland because he's got like this big poofy seven but everybody in the in the 70s had either uh i would say i would say 70 percent of the hair in the 70s did not uh, age well in terms of sexiness like do you think that's why they called it the 70s uh yeah it was because it was the percentage of sexiness that it would be uh available to me and my particular libido in the year 2020 uh you need a ti-83 to do the math but it all works out uh yeah, uh, but anyways, the the point is that uh, the point is that I I, I feel like uh, most seventies sex icons, uh, even like <laughs> objectively beautiful people like Farrah Fawcett, you're like, yeah, it's just the hair, it, it's it's a wig, right? And you're like, no, she just spent a lot of time making it flippy, and you're like, okay, uh, and the Donald Sutherland, you're like, yeah, so he just. He just let it get really, really curly, right? And then you see him in a movie with, like, his short hair. I think he's in Dirty Dozen with super short hair. And you're like, oh, he did it because it makes him look less terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> he looks terrifying with, with no hair or buzz cut or whatever. Can we talk about something that, like, probably wasn't intentional, but, like, kind of reads as, like, highlighting the misogyny of the day, even among super liberal San Francisco? There's that scene where they go to the house, right, um, where the cops are there with Elizabeth's husband, and Nimoy bo- both uh, both Nancy and Elizabeth express their like this is true. People are being replaced, and uh, David go- goes to each one of them and tells them why they're wrong. That scene's over. Cut to Nimoy and Sutherland on the roof, and the first thing that Nimoy says is David or. Uh, Matthew, I believe you. It's like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> you just told two women they were wrong and crazy. <laughs> and, then, and then literally moments later, like, of course, Matthew, I've known you for a long time. I know you're not making this up. Like, wait a second. Uh, yeah. The chaotic energies of the femoid uh, is unable to process <laughs> the pod people, and it requires the orderly nature of the masculine... Uh, perm boy Donald Sutherland in order to properly tame the beast of the pod people. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Jordan uh. Peterson lately and I think it explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Donald Sutherland would make a good Jordan Peterson in a movie. Um, can we... So... Uh, <laughs> We gotta talk about the special effects. We gotta talk about the special effects. The special effects are amazing. So there's a scene where Donald Sutherland, I mentioned very early on, the sort of sleep equals death and waking equals rebirth thing, where you fall asleep, you wake up as a different person. Leonard Nimoy literally says, let me try and do an impression. You will be born again into an untroubled world. Um, 
And he says that uh, to try and encourage everyone to go to sleep. Uh, Donald Sutherland is like, no, I ain't going to sleep. And then he's asleep for like, or he's awake for like two or three days. And he's like, this lawn chair is looking ripe. Uh, he passes out. And then we see this amazing, almost like, it's like, it's this movie's equivalent of the werewolf transformation scene. Yeah. <clears throat> Pod comes out of the, 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 the brush a little bit. Uh, Donald Sutherland, uh, gooey boy comes out and is formed super oh, yeah. quickly. Total goo boy. Uh, but during the that Sonic time, Youth album came from. <laughs> uh, do you think that uh, cool thing was about uh, pod people? Yeah, because uh, plants cool are colder. Thing? They're not warm blooded yeah. like humans. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, po- the 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 pod version of Donald Teenage Riot out. was about uh, the the Abel Ferrara movie. <laughs> <laughs> um and then later uh unmade bed was about elizabeth leaving her family for oh yeah a hundred percent yes uh get any- it anyways uh a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah i got it got it okay uh but the way you said we know sonic youth songs yeah. stop writing letters that we don't know just, sonic youth just, songs just, just, we I, know them <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so uh donald sutherland is covered with goo which is of course a reference to a sonic youth song that wouldn't be written for 20 years or 15 years it's an album <laughs> uh covered in goo and hair like these like hair like follicles yeah. like the the this movie is playing off of a lot of body horror particularly yeah. the sort of like <laughs> soft nascent uh fetal bodies that that get formed out of the pods but like um also this sort of like gooey hairy uh uh sort of uh sinewy uh approach because like this idea of this like um disgusting um uh, just this disgusting thing. It's not just covered in Vaseline. It's covered in like these sinewy layers. And you're like, if I touch that, will I become part of it? Like you, it, 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 you just, your body immediately is retracted from it. <clears throat> and the way that this forms in the different stages, this sort of like werewolf transformation into a Don- Donald Sutherland wolf <laughs> um, is so impressive. And then they top it up with uh, a just... Uh, great execution of what would be sort of standard in the 80s, which is like, um, let's see a body part explode into blood. <laughs> and Donald Sutherland smashes the shit out of his own head. But it's paired with, it's paired with, like, uh, Donald Sutherland having hesitation about killing the version of himself. Like this creepy yeah, because he's sort of, so sexy. This creepy sort of distance where he's like, should I kill it with a hammer or should I fuck it? Um, that is really, but he's like. <laughs> he's all gooey. Yeah, but then he realizes, you know, this thing just got born. Technically, it's underage, so he murders it, which is is uh, cool. Technically a fetus, too, so not, not a person yet. <laughs> Let's just really make sure no one knows where we stand politically after this eight seconds uh. here. <laughs> Um, the other thing I really liked stylistically um, that I think is sometimes even more creepy in this movie than the the goo monsters emerging from their plant wombs is um, the fact that like as the replace like whatever's happening that's like replacing them is that 
as the originals are dying, they slowly get more and more desiccated and, like, scabby and dry. I think you could probably make the case that all their goo is going into the new the new version. Like, they're sucking the goo out. Um, but it is so creepy the way, like, you're, you're essentially watching someone slowly die peacefully, but also death by, like, immediate decay. It's about yourself decaying at the same time. Like you are being replaced in real time. Um, that that's that's so horrific. Um, it's not. It's and not- there is something like legitimately like you. Have you ever had just like a random dry spot on your skin, and you're just like, "What is this? Like, what happened here?" Like yeah. the idea of like that's how you slowly perish is so unnerving. And the fact that you sort of fall asleep into a gentle nap. Uh, is is really fucking creepy because like oh yeah shit like that's not a bad way to go at least the monster's not doing the thing the thing thing where it'll like fucking put its hand in your mouth and tear your skull off like this is uh you know you just you sort of get a narcoleptic um narcoleptic or uh you know uh, uh opioid pass out sesh uh like you're getting uh, your your wisdom teeth out and then you never wake up and then uh you know a better version of you does wake up um it's not that scary but the idea that you're replaced by something that can actively harm the world and like your legacy will be death is is scary on so many levels goo levels uh, you know, sort of uh, immortality levels, uh, the sort of immortality of your legacy levels, like your legacy will be w- will be the death of the human race. Let's talk about the man-faced dog. Uh, sure, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the ending and do some final thoughts. Yeah, let's let's so y- you guys see a dog, but he's got a face like a man. or is it a man? With a body like a dog, you guys see that thing. This is these are the these are the philosophical questions that have uh, haunted me for years. <laughs> so okay, so I, I have mixed opinions of, on this effect, but this is one of the most famous things in the movie, so we got to talk about it. Uh, I, the the writer was like so excited about this this to premiering in the theater. He was like. People, audiences were screaming. They were screaming. They were so terrified. And now, I mean, now it just kind of looks like there's a rubber mask on a dog and then a, a tongue comes out of it. It happens so quickly that it does have a sort of like, what the fuck? And then before you even get through fuck, um, the image has, has disappeared from your brain. Or, sorry, the, the image has disappeared from the screen. Uh, that's sort of uh, that's sort of showing you something incredibly fucked up that the aliens are up to, and then it's just going away really quickly. Uh, does I mean it, it does work? I mean, it, if you freeze the image, it looks like shit. Or you gif it to death, it looks like shit. But, but in the context of the movie, where you're just seeing this like systematic distribution of pods, all of a sudden there's just this one fucked up little pod dog coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Like that, little whoopsie daisy. It's a yeah. little whoopsie daisy. I also like it because you can uh, sing the song "Heart Shaped Box" to the tune of "Man Face Dog" if you want. Like you can. <laughs> Or maybe that's the opposite of what I said. <laughs> but yeah, you can just saying like uh, man face box. What the fuck? I'm man done. Bo- man face dog. Man face dog. Week. I don't know. Uh, my face. Hey, wait. Uh, where's the Sit. rest of me? Sit. Sit. <laughs> Sit. Damn it. Uh, my, my favorite thing about that scene is the... Um, I don't think it would have worked for me as well if they didn't have that weird, fucked up uh, banjo lick provided by uh, Jerry Garcia. 
uh, that plays Interesting. right as it walks in and then just goes away. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. It is like no, 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 no. Yeah, like, and it leads and it leads right right into like vibing keyboards, like it's a Carpenter movie. And, yeah. and and what what the fuck is up with that? Like, I think the moment has like a sort of visceral. Like, I was just expecting pod people. There's also like freaks of nature being popped out of the process. Like, there's there's like mute, mutational uh, mistakes popping out of the process. Um, I I I like I like that idea. And then yeah, the banjo cue. What is that? What's that about? Um, I don't get it. Yeah, but I, I mean, uh, right with the da 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 like. It feels like a fucked up Looney Tunes gag, and I think that's why it works. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, yeah, and the fact that that is like a little bit of an action sequence helps because it kicks off. It's a bit of it's a bit of spookery, and then it kicks off an action sequence, which kicks off like the whole escape sequence. They're running for the truck. They hop in the back of the truck, and then they get to the the factory. And the fact that this movie ends with a big ass action sequence. And then the action sequence is entirely ineffectual. You think meaningless, like, really? Yeah. You think you think, oh man, Donald Donald Sutherland really fucked shit up, and then he comes back outside, and uh, Elizabeth has passed out, and she is now full on like, I'm trying to seduce the resistance into giving up. I'm going to take all my clothes off. Like I'm, all the cards are on the table. No, that's before the blow up because she chases him through the factory naked. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. But uh, the, the fact that this isn't ineffectual, like, that part yeah. is lost. He thinks he's lost everyone. Like, he knows at this point the government is lost, California is lost. Like, he doesn't know how far it's gone, but he's, he's seeing these big shipping containers coming in. He's like, if I don't do something, the world is going to get infected off yeah. these shipping containers. That's why they're making this big shipping facility. Big, exciting action sequence. And then you, you think he gets away. And the fact that that ending has absolutely no effect before the final reveal. Um, the yeah. sort of, he's walking, you see him walking around the boring new status quo. He's seeing the world after the fall. It's incredibly boring. There's not, yeah. you know, big alien combines eating people or anything. It's just a bore. It's just people going to class, people going to school, yeah. whatever. And then. The, the 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 famous the most famous sequence in the movie he sees Veronica Cartwright who you assume has just been uh, converted uh, and at this point all uh, again all cards are on the table he points at her opens his gaping maw and screams in this like horrific uh, I I did it earlier in the episode I think I might damage my vocal cords if I do it again um like uh, yelp and then the movie ends as it the, the camera zooms in down the blackness of his throat like and then hey, oh, oh and you... then no music after that no music, no music. In, in the credits i i my blood was <sighs> cold like this movie is still scary yeah i so i didn't know that was the ending when i saw this movie i hadn't seen the original like i said i was like 16 or 17 and um it was an ending that just left me with exactly like exactly what it was supposed to like oh well, I'm going to sit for like 30 minutes and just gestate on the magnitude of what I just saw. Like it is because you're right, Peter, you're 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 first of all, in most alien invasion movies, whether it's a pod people situation or a flying saucer shooting laser guns, the good guys do win. They take some casualties, bad things happen. But like 1617 when I had seen this movie, 
There's not that many, I think, movies that I saw, especially like big mainstream successful movies of their era that ended with everything, everyone losing. Even Alien, which, you know, kills most of the crew and doesn't really have the happiest of endings, like Scorning Weaver still gets away. And the alien gets blown out this the space, space lock and stuff like that. So to have that double gut punch of like he 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 does it he blows up the factory we see where all the pods are making and ultimately he still has to sink back into this meaningless existence where his like biggest his best friend his connection to the world he literally has to sit across from on that table because they work together but she's he knows she's a she's a pod person now so he can't even say hi to his friend and, like, that's his life now, even despite everything he tried to do. Every – it seems so stoppable. They caught it so early. And he is, like, in that situation having to decide, like, whether what's – like, pretend to be a zombie or be a zombie. What's better or what's worse. Yeah. Um, and and then at the – and then the, the second gut punch of, oh, shit, he – that is his existence. Like that kind of like behind dead eyes moving around because he was one all the time. And now, oh, his friend Nancy, who like, who knows how long she's had to exist in this reality, finally has a chance to do. Like it is just so devoid of hope. And and I think unlike anything I had seen, but, you know, when, when this came out that I was just completely blown away. And you're right, Peter, it still holds its power Yeah. in, in 2020. And, and, and that smothering of hope is so important. So they play this, uh, the, the sound design plays into that heavily. So there's this bagpipes cue that's very beautiful. I think they're playing taps maybe, but the sad, somber bagpipes they're song. They're playing a dirge. Donald Sutherland yeah. is trying to, yes, is trying to, exactly, a dirge. They're trying to like sort of um, make a sentimental moment out of Donald Sutherland's ineffectual final moments of resistance and the way that with the sound design they drown out the bagpipe music to uh, white like white noise of a radio and then uh, a dull weather report like a dull you know northern california you know california weather report where it's just like yeah. oh sunny in 70s like whatever and Alyssa, make sure you get your pods and take them to the city we're attacking yeah uh, and like 10 Seattle. minutes before that elizabeth was crumbling in matthew's arms and like and, and uh talking about dreams and hope and he's like promising her that he knows that he can save her but like you can see in his eyes like it's not it's not gonna fucking happen and the way this movie spends the last like you know even during the on, on either side of this big action sequence it spends 15 minutes drowning your hope it's is amazing as a horror movie the dread the dread the atmosphere so amazing What'd you make of the ending, uh, Morgan? So I, I understand why, but I am kind of bummed it became so ingrained in pop culture because that would have hit like a ton of bricks if I wasn't, you know, back when I was in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if the ruling came from Morgan Runis, the dean of memes. Yes. I mean, uh, you know that it stands. Yes. I mean, I, I remember when I was a little gremlin uh, in high school who actually went to 4chan. <laughs> you know, that was a common like reaction image so i've known the ending to this movie since i was 14 15 but i've never i'd never actually seen it all the way through and i'm kind of bummed about i'm kind of bummed that i knew uh matthew was gonna turn at the end but i think it still holds up 
as yeah. a great downer ending. Um, I, uh, it, I, I'm trying to think of another ending like it. Uh, as problematic as, as everyone involved with it is now, I think The Usual Suspects is the one that comes to mind in terms of even if you know the twist of the ending, it still works really well. Uh, Interesting. Um, Although I haven't seen that movie a second time, not because um, I remember I really liked it when I saw yeah. it, but I just it it felt it felt like the opposite to me. It felt like something that like because the whole movie is just fake bullshit, it works the first time and not the second. Uh, that movie. Quick thirty second review of the Usual Suspect. Uh, <laughs> I think that movie works really well the second time because you start to piece together the contradiction, or if you know the twist ending, it it works really well if you because now you're piecing together contradictions. Uh, so you almost kind of feel like the detective character at the la- at the last thirty seconds of the movie, where he's like, "Oh fuck, he took all the names from the shit in my office." <laughs> so you, but you feel like that through the whole movie, where you're like, "Wait, that doesn't make any sense." Wait, who the fuck is that then? Like it. Uh, it, it works really, I think it works really well because it becomes the game of, okay, what's real, what's bullshit, and what's beating you halfway? Um, which I think is why yeah. it works really well, if you, even if you know the ending, because it's, you know, after the first time you watch it, it's, oh shit, it was all a lie, and the second time is, oh, what is a lie? What is true? And it becomes a fun little detective game. Well, I suppose even with knowing the shot of this movie and the fact that Donald Sutherland turns, like, you don't know it's the final frame. That's true. Of this movie, Yeah, I, right? I didn't yeah. realize that was what the movie ended on. Um, so that did take me by surprise. Like, oh, shit, okay. Like, I, I always thought it was in the middle of the movie, which is why I was always surprised. I was really surprised when we got to the climax, and I'm like, wow, they, they have not killed Matthew yet. That's interesting. <laughs> Cause maybe you maybe you thought like he was just like that's my last piece of pizza. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's just pointing. Yeah, he's he's just you know I mean it's a spooky it's a it's a spooky point, but it's it's still you know who knows like I yeah you've never you've never seen Donald Sutherland point in other contexts no. so maybe that's just he's got a weird yeah, point you know maybe maybe it's 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 an unflattering camera angle maybe maybe it's him going like this is the paparazzi I don't want that you know you don't know um, you know how some people can like roll their tongue maybe every time he points at something he has to be a, a, a mouth agape yes <laughs> um, but no I, I like when I was watching the movie uh, I thought Brooke Adams was going to be like the last survivor and she was going to be the one to do all the cool shit at the climax it's subversive yes. she's supposed to be the yep. final girl but she's not yeah yeah well also the fact that like you never would expect Nancy to be the final person Right, because <laughs> you've forgotten she exists. You were you've given up. She, on her she does it twice. She's like, she's like, I'm, I'm just gonna pretend to be like. She's like immediately takes to I got this. Like, uh, whereas like Elizabeth and Matthew immediately like. I mean, I get it. They see a, a dog headed human, um, and they're like, oh what? Oh shit! Oh, we're supposed to be in disguise. And, and but, she's the but, last person I would expect to be able to keep her cool. Like she's she's saying like she she's saying like uh oh uh, uh she this is ancient like she's basically talking about ancient aliens shit. 
like and she's talking about uh like a lot of like sort of bay area kookery like she's like oh yeah and they're putting weird stuff in our food and you're like no 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 this actual alien stuff like this isn't a government conspiracy like <laughs> she she's the one that you least expect her to be able to keep her shit together what's awesome is that she probably learned that on in search of <laughs> because in search of came out in 76 and one of their first episodes was that chariot of the god shit Man, they should make an invasion of the body snatchers that is features uh, the previous movies convincing us that this idea is ridiculous. Oh, that's a good take. Yeah, I like that. Like, it's sort of like how we we've all you know we we the um, comic bookization or the uh, you know the, uh, the 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 comicization of Nazis uh, in a weird way helps Nazis rise again in America. Yeah, uh, <laughs> because like you make a joke out of something and all of a sudden we didn't take it seriously. Too, yeah. Seems too ridiculous to take seriously. Um, it's interesting. We found out here at the end that Morgan, I didn't realize this was the first time that you had seen this movie. You jumped on it so quick when I sent over some suggestions I did, that I had assumed it was a favorite. No, uh, I jumped on it because I'd been meaning to watch it for a while and I was like, fuck, okay, yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you did. Yeah. This was super, super fun, yeah. dude. No, thank you. And, and now you understand yeah. as a dean of memes, yes. as the dean of memes, you understand one of your many memes in I, your artillery it, a little bit better. It's, it's good for my for my meme memeology, which I am a doctor of. Uh, it's, it's good for the study. <laughs> um, and it's good to understand that when uh, I, I posted on 4chan sophomore year, hey, maybe black people aren't that bad. And some guy just responded with this. He was telling me that I was uh, that I needed to be assimilated. So that that's nice. That's oh. good to know. <laughs> it's nice that hey, you weren't hey, Morgan, You got out. I'm glad you weren't assimilated. That, you know, I'm I'm glad too. You know, I'm glad. <laughs> Your open invitation to be on the show would be rescinded. Yeah, no. Um, uh, the last thing I want to say about <laughs> just this like movie, if this cons- podcast was Pod People. They would not have, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who uh, didn't like pod people on there. I did see the Mystery Santa Theater 3000 pod people episode, like, probably, like, four or five years before I saw this movie. So, like, 11 or 12. And I was pretty sure I had seen this movie. <laughs> I didn't realize that, like, just because there's pod people in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the movie itself was not called pod people. Anyway, uh... My last thoughts about this movie, because I think I, we've talked a lot about a lot of the what makes this movie so interesting, but I, there's just a there's an experience that this movie captures better than any other movie I've ever seen. Um, it's such a specific experience where, and I'm sure you guys have had it, and if you haven't, uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this with anyone. So if I assume it happens to everyone, and that's why I haven't said anything ever to anyone, because why bring up something like, hey, you ever have to go to the bathroom? Um, so if this is a unique experience to me, uh, I'm about to find out a lot. But anyways, uh, there's, you know, like we talked about the scene where they drive past in the in the in the after Kevin McCarthy gets killed and no one's helping him everyone turns and stares at them in like unison. And I, and I, the way this movie kind of builds to, Oh shit. And we talked about it with the people at, at the office that aren't really paying attention to what they're doing. They're just staring at 
as we find out later, the people that haven't been turned. Like, you ever, like, driven some by someone on a highway, and then it doesn't look like they turned over to look at you. It looks like they have just been looking, uh, waiting for you to pass with their with their head turned all the way to the left or something like that. And it's like, a, for a second, like, a chill runs down your spine, but like, oh, weird, were you... Like, am I in a Truman Show-esque movie or something where, like, you are watching me for a sec? Like, it has that such a distinct, like, oh, am I being observed? And it's not something I actually think, even though I have seen In Search of and Beyond Belief, Fact and Fiction. Um, But there's just that moment, like, that second of, like, oh, that's so weird. Like... Do, do I know that person? Why were they staring at me like that for a second? And it's probably something you do to other people. You know, you're off. Just today, I was, like, thinking of the next word to write in this email and didn't realize I was staring directly at my wife because I turned away from my computer screen and we're both working from home right now. Uh, and it's just to, like, think of the next thing to say. And I was, like, blankly staring at her. So it's I'm sure it's something that I do to people, too, when I'm not paying attention. But, like... That feeling of how creepy that is, is like captured so perfectly in this movie. And uh, it's one of the reasons I like this movie so much. It just, it has all these different facets, like reading into this idea of a replacement, what it meant when this movie came out, how it resonates to you now. It has so many creepy horror movie moments. It's still scary watching it uh, this many years later. Uh, Great performances, but also it just captures that eerie feeling that i think we all have day to day which is wait a second is something off um and yeah that's one of the many reasons i love this movie yeah no i mean it definitely the the one memory that am i crazy does that happen to you guys no it happens yeah no it actually reminds me of the thing that popped into my head uh when watching this was i was uh in morocco uh, on vacation, and I was I was waiting outside this restaurant and I was waiting because I had split up for my parents. This was like five, six years ago. Um, I had split up for my parents, and we were like, oh, let's meet at this restaurant. I'm like, okay, and I was just standing outside waiting for them, and I turned, and there was this guy on the corner uh, just like, and it looked like he was staring straight at me with like this I don't know how to describe it, this look of like some bad shit's gonna go down. And I was like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? And for a second, I thought, oh my god, what the fuck? Are you, what am I, are you gonna be, like, are you gonna rob me? Like, what's up? And then, no, he was just on a smoke break, and he, I caught him at, like, the worst possible angle, because, no, he looked totally normal. But, no, that's what it reminded me of, just that, like, momentary of, like, catching someone's eye and going, oh god. Uh, this is it. I'm yeah. Done. Well, and you're taught to dismiss it, right? Like that feeling that we all have how many times each year, like probably a few dozen, like you're just taught to like, I know that that person wasn't waiting for me to pass and is like, let me get a good look at him or recognizing me as an other in a weird Like, that's not what's happening. I know that's not what's happening. But what if that was what was happening? I would be taught to dismiss it, which is what we see uh, so effectively at the beginning of this movie where I can't this can't be real because I've experienced this before and I know it's not real. And that's that's what makes the best paranoid thrillers. It's not the 
it's not the uh, overreaching like conspiracy of like things that couldn't like of course that's what made kind of the X-Files kind of a joke in the middle right like of course these are aliens you don't have to have a level of healthy skepticism anymore you were in a spaceship like it's fine to just just be like yeah no I guess there's aliens now um, whereas this it's like yeah what I saw is odd but it, is it odd enough to raise any alarms so yeah Peter uh, there's a lot of stuff that scares me in this movie um, there's the body horror that I mentioned especially the fetal forms there's the paranoia like no one will believe you stuff has always scared the shit out of me um, yeah. the immediate bodily sort of threat of violence is scary too um, the way that Kevin McCarthy gets murdered in this movie the pragmatics of survival and the failure of information to travel properly is scary um, doom, that feeling that like no momentum of hope will ever build. <clears throat> like this movie kind of taps into the many, many layers of fear in a way that it, it doesn't stay sort of like out of the fray. It's willing to be gross and goopy, but it's also like it, it is psychologically terrifying. And it's kind yeah. of a strange time to cover this movie because we should <laughs> like because in a sense, we should trust the CDC, the health department, uh, Dr. Fauci. We should also be deeply cynical of government programs and policies like. Uh, it's a perfect horrible time to cover cover this movie like the destruction of the environment immigrant rights social safety net Arab lives abroad uh, black, early, black early lot. on it felt so easy to stop the the thing yeah. it's like only there's only 30 people that have it why can't we stop this yeah yeah and like uh, the, the, the the murder of uh, black people domestically like we're, we're living through this sort of like um tactless caveman age uh in terms of government leadership but like in a sense we're also supposed to believe like the cdc most of the time um because it hasn't been fully infected by trumpism uh it's just an interesting time to cover this movie um and we are sort of living in uh, we're sort of living through the 70s again um, I talked to my dad about this today um, because he, my dad is old. So it's a 70s paranoiac film like A Conversation, All the President's Men. Um, but the people staring, watching, uh, constantly being observed, the failure of bureaucracy, um, the fact that an actor from the original movie pops up like a loon, the fact that Robert Duvall is in the movie, but like you kind of can recognize him, but also like your brain is like telling you he's not important because he's not in the movie. Um, and how and I think that the, the key part of what makes this scary for me is that it's about the. Um, the annoyance of speaking the truth like elizabeth interrupting that book party jeff goldblum is really annoying with with donald when he's on the phone like leonard nimoy is this like voice of reason but actually the voice of reason uh is, is telling you not to be paranoid not to be uh aware of what's going on and like this is a strange situation where like usually staying calm not being skeptical just being like okay, all this information is flooding in. Let me sort of take it in all in equally and, and without prejudice. Uh, that's usually uh, good for 90% of your life. It's exhausting to live in a conspiracy theory mindset. But this is one of those situations where paranoia is fucking justified. And the purpose of paranoia is to protect us 
when tr when the trust systems collapse. The systems we're supposed to believe in collapse, and we need to be discerning about our next move. And that's why this movie actually is a perfect movie to cover right now, <laughs> because you need constant skeptical attention to, to what news is coming into your brain. You need to be checking back in on stories that you have accepted as canon. You need to be diversifying your news intake. Um, you can't just be taking. I it. love it. I love it when people refer to reality as canon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're all in a matrix simulation, so I, we just need to live long enough for us to be uh, liberated by uh, Neo and the gang. Uh, but yeah, this is that's my final point, is that speaking the truth is often very fucking annoying. Like, yeah. <laughs> telling, telling people in your social circles not to be a dumb fucking idiot, not to just buy everything that first comes into their brain from the first news source that they saw uh, is annoying. You're going to be annoying, but it's important because the truth matters. And without that truth, we all die. And that's why I fucking love this movie and why I think it's a perfect time to cover it. So Morgan, do you have anything to promote or will you have anything to promote at the end of July? <laughs> August. End of August. <laughs> so at the moment, no, but at the end of August, I will. I am... God. This, okay. So part of me is hesitant because the last time I plugged my own podcast, uh, which was the fan fiction one, that fell apart um, really quickly. Um, the guy, one of the co-hosts, uh, true story, uh, also hosted, or no, I think he still hosts, a My Little Pony podcast. Um... He's big in the brony community, but not, like, like, cool bronies, I don't- which sounds like an oxymoron, but anyway. Uh, that podcast took off, uh, because shortly after we recorded the first episode, uh, they did, like, a charity fundraiser, and he ended up raising, like, $10,000 for horse therapy charities. Um, so, basically he was like, yeah, I gotta focus on this, because this is blowing up, so, uh, that podcast fell apart, but I- I have faith that the next one's working out, and it's one we're working on. I'm working on with my partner, Clarissa Vandell, called Strange is Fiction, um, which is a podcast about creativity and writing um, from myself, a screenwriter, and Clarissa, who is going to be soon a published author with her short story in Planet Scum magazine. So, yeah, it's a podcast about uh, writing techniques, creativity, world building, stuff like that. And Strange is Fiction, and it'll be out. We'll have at least a few episodes out by the time this podcast goes live. We will have a link to that in the show notes. So, Peter, holy shit, that's right. We have to talk about another month that we're not as, as prepared to talk about. So, this is our third annual September school's back in session and uh because uh for those of you that don't know peter and i uh do charity teaching at the local high schools uh just for the first month to get all the kids back to uh homecoming or whatever they do uh we take september off from we love to watch and do kind of a grab bag month of some of our other side podcasts that maybe don't get as much attention during the year because we just don't have enough time to edit them we record them we just don't have enough time to edit or release them until we can do it while we're teaching kids the waltz in preparation for homecoming dances. I think that works, right, Peter? That's what we're doing. Yeah, whatever you said. You know, that's 
It's yeah. very noble. I, I knew a few uh, high school charity teachers, and, you know, I, I would not know the Charleston without mine, who, uh, Miss, Mr. Bjornerschmidt, Mr. Bjornerschmidt, he was Swedish, but, uh, you know, so that's, that is yeah. noble work you guys are doing. Noble work. Yeah, uh, and to be honest, the Swedes get all the good postings, mm-hmm. so we don't get to teach the Charleston we're stuck in Walt's land, but yeah. we're doing our yeah. best. Um, so yeah, so it's a grab bag month. Uh, I'm not. We don't even know what we're gonna release at this point. It could be thirty episodes. It could be uh, a more reasonable four to eight. But uh, you're gonna get a lot of Star Trek episodes, and you're gonna get a lot of Don't You Dare episodes. And because uh, we've recorded quite a bit at this point, I think we have six and six of each, and we have more recording plans for those as the summer goes on. Um, I will say a couple episodes I'm really uh, excited about. One is uh, the the Don't You Dare episode that goes through track by track a bunch of uh, techno music I, I used to listen to in the 90s. Um, that's like a four-hour long episode that will get edited down to something. Uh, and then, uh, Peter, do you have one you're particularly excited about that will probably get released in Grab Bag Month? Uh, yeah, all the tracks. All the, all the tracks. tracks. All the tracks. We finally have crossed over out of the Kirk era into the Picard era. And there's an episode uh, of Trek that made me cry. Um, so there's a... Yeah. It was a pretty... pretty. Uh, I'd say it's a pretty effectual sort of uh, turn for Star Trek. Where like I, I didn't realize I could get attached to a whole new cast. Um, so that's, that's exciting for me. Is to get to push on into a new Brave New Era. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about for October, uh, back to We Love to Watch. We're doing all the Evil Dead movies, including the remake and the show. So, Happy Halloween, uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn, Army of Darkness, Evil Dead remake, and Ash versus the Evil Dead. Uh, We talked about splitting them up in a bunch of other months, but you know what? Those fucking Evil Dead movies are so goddamn good. Uh, They're definitely partially responsible for my love of horror movies today. Uh, cannot wait to talk about those. So, yeah, those are our next two months here on We Love to Watch. Thank you for joining us on this double month. It has been a blast. Uh, and uh, before you go to bed, ah! I can't I do the screen. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. 
show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>